0: Good morning. Welcome to Monday Mornings with Maddie and Morgan. I'm Maddie, and I use she, her pronouns. I'm Morgan, and I use she, her
1: pronouns as well. Woo!
0: Woo! So, this week, it's officially Christmas and Kwanzaa. Hanukkah has just ended, and New Year's is right around the corner. Woo! Yay! <laughs> so... As you probably know, because you probably celebrate some type of holiday, most cultures have some type of celebration around this time of year. Have you ever wondered why that is? I sure have. Ooh, because I'm going to tell you. So let me just start this by saying, I spent literally so much time reading the Wikipedia page for Solstice, the astronomical event. Ooh. And that wasn't really important or what I wanted to know at all. Um... (laughs) So, what is the winter solstice? Why is it so important? Why did everybody have freaking celebrations for it? I'm gonna let you know. So, in the northern hemisphere, the winter solstice is the astronomical event when the Earth's north pole is at its greatest tilt away from the sun. So, it tends to fall on or around December 21st, which is the day that this comes out. Yay!
1: Oh, how convenient.
0: <laughs> Happy Solstice, everybody. <laughs> so Solstice marks the official start of the winter, and that is according to the farmer's almanac. So I'ma believe it. I uh, <laughs> So this is the shortest day and the longest night of the calendar year by darkness and light hours. The word solstice means for the sun to stand still in Latin. And this is because the sun appears to be standing still in the same spot in the sky at noon time for a few days. But then after the solstice, the days begin to get a bit longer and leading up to the summer where the summer solstice the days start to get shorter again and it's a whole cycle going way back in the back way back machine to the neolithic era which was between 12 and 6.5 thousand years ago way way back (laughs) oh yeah way 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 back (laughs) astronomical events like the solstices were used to help prepare for changing of seasons and farming crops But before they even had an understanding of that, people would get really freaked out as the solstices happened. So the sun getting lower and lower in the sky on the horizon every day. Uh, Basically, they thought that the world was going to end and the sun would just eventually never come back.
1: That's terrifying.
0: Yeah, so not ideal, but then basically after that, each day after the solstice, the days start to come back longer and longer, and the sun starts to get higher in the sky again, so people would rejoice and celebrate, and since these events made such an important impact on these ancient cultures, it really does make sense that so many of our current traditions and holidays surround that, as well as, like, other lore and, like, stories about the holidays but a quick little fun fact is that remember December 21st 2012 (laughs) (laughs) yep not the movie (laughs) not the
1: movie
0: (laughs) the Mayans had predicted that the world was gonna end but it was really just the end of the calendar that they made so somebody was probably like well somebody else can make all the freaking calendars later in life like (laughs) I don't know it was just the end of their calendar so yeah no worry
1: all right I do have to say 2012 got a 39 percent on Rotten Tomatoes so that's not I mean it's not good but <laughs> <laughs> it's not as bad as I was expecting oh yeah
0: <laughs> okay so Ready to hear a little bit about the history of how the winter solstice was celebrated around the world? Heck yeah. Okay. So as I mentioned, many cultures had rituals, feasts, and festivals that they celebrated around the solstice to encourage the return of the sun or their individual sun god. Um, before I continue, I do want to shout out the Ologies podcast podcast. And say Uh,
1: that.
0: Oh, yeah, it's so good. That you should 100% check out the food anthropology episode because they do cover feasts and like historical feasts a lot, which is really important to understand feasts in general because I do bring that up a lot and it helps. But (laughs) (laughs) I digress. (laughs) Okay. So, the first celebration I want to talk about is. Alban Arthan. It is thought to be one of the oldest seasonal festivals. And it is a Welsh term for light of winter. It's a druidic celebration of the birth or rebirth of the sun child. Um, so about five thousand two hundred years ago the druids built something called New Grange. It's basically the opposite of Stonehenge. Oh, that's cool. It's really interesting, but um, I've never heard of that. Neither had I. And I looked up pictures of it, and it's pretty cool. It's this like big rock structure, but that's also underground and covered with grass.
1: Wow. Well, (laughs) add it to the list for places we need to visit. (laughs) Yes.
0: So it's located in the valley of the Boyne River in Ireland, and it's a Neolithic passage tomb, which I just described, but basically on the sol- every year on the winter solstice for about twi- 15 minutes, the sunlight will come through this huge opening from the outside in, and the sunbeam then kind of just like wanders around this cave and eventually reaches this threefold spiral carved rock at the end of the passage, which is thought to symbolize the sun god inserting a ray of light into the womb of Mother Earth, Ugh. I did not like the sentence, <laughs> but it's what the article I read said. So, <laughs> yeah. oh,
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, it like I I didn't love reading it, but I understand it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the next festival I want to talk about is um, the Dongzi Olstice Festival. It was mostly celebrated in China and other parts of Eastern Asia. It's still celebrated in some parts of China, but it's mostly celebrated in Taiwan now. It dates back to the Han Dynasty, so somewhere between 206 BCE and 220 AD. So, oh, so a whole way, bunch of years. Back. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this festival is celebrated by gathering with family and eating these pink, white, or green-colored rice balls called. Tangwan I think. It's spelt T-A-N-G-Y-U-A-N. So they eat that and then also commonly dumplings. It was thought Yum. that, yeah, so it was thought that like in the deep winter, so around this time and later that um, yang would become stronger. And this is like yang as in yin and yang. And mm-hmm. so the yang symbolizes muscular and positive aspects of life. Yang spices and herbs, as well as other warm foods and foods higher in fat were used at this time because the colder, shorter winter days were thought to have had low yang energy. And so I did write down a few different foods that are yang foods.
1: <laughs> <Heck> yeah.
0: <laughs> because I was really, really interested. Um, So it's basically just like anything that's warmer or hot. Um, foods soup. or drinks. Yeah, so like soup and soup dumplings. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so, like, they just kept talking about really warm dumplings, and now I really want dumplings, but.
1: Me too.
0: Big snowstorm and no Uber Eats drivers, so. (laughs) We don't have any dumpling
1: places around me, and it's really sad. Oh,
0: I'll mail you some. Uh... (laughs) Thanks, man. (laughs) (laughs) Got you. So, some of these Yang seasonings and foods were, like, had a lot of ginseng, ginger, garlic, um, different spices. They were usually higher in fats. And then they would also drink a rice wine with cassia oil in it because I guess cassia was considered to have um, high yang levels. Neat. Um, (laughs) So historically, this day was spent with family, eating, and was often seen as a time of rest and a day to honor ancestors but they would also go and visit their ancestors' graves, clean the tombs, and make them offerings. So what I want to talk about next is Saturnalia, which was an ancient Roman celebration that started on December 17th, and it lasted for about
1: seven days. That's today. Oh, Well, not for everybody listening, but that's when we're recording. (laughs) Don't give away the secret. Sorry. (laughs)
0: They can't know. Uh, so this celebra- this festival celebrated the god of agriculture and harvest, Saturnus. Um, during this time, grudges and fights were forgiven and wars were paused. They also honored Saturnus by holding sacrifices and enslaved people were given special privileges during this time. So, I really hope they got to join in on the partying and that nobody was actually sacrificed, but I don't really know.
1: <laughs> I'm hoping it was, like, like goat sacrifices or something. Yeah. Not human sacrifice. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but it's always a little sketchy when they just say sacrifice. Um, yeah. <laughs> but they would celebrate in these crazy carnival type of festivities. They would have these crazy feasts. They would give each other gifts. Um, Gifts that they usually gave were different tools or utensils, clothing items, and food. They would also decorate with bows of evergreen, as well as hanging small ornaments on bushes and trees. One article I said that bands of naked revelers often roamed the streets singing and carousing... Which is um, a word I didn't know, so I googled it for us both. It is the activity of drinking alcohol and enjoying oneself with others in a noisy, lively
1: way. I don't know about you, but that sounds like a party. <laughs> no, I was like, a oh, college? <laughs> Bands of naked revelers. <laughs> Literally. I was like,
0: oh, okay, got it, got it. <laughs> So when Christianity took over the Roman Empire, they would merge these festivities, um, which is why so many of the traditions they used to practice then, we now practice on Christmas and New Year's, and that's why they're so similar. It's also thought that the church used December 25th as Christmas to sync up with Saturnalia, because it's also thought that Jesus wasn't actually born in December, but that's a whole nother story. Um, (laughs) That's a whole
1: new can of worms. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I'm mucking into that today. (laughs) So what I really wanted to talk about was Yule. I really want to preface this by saying that these traditions and feasts are all celebrated um, very differently, but also super similar by different regions and I really really wanted to be accurate and I wanted to have one definite answer for all of my questions but I couldn't so it was really I struggled with it a little bit um, but there's just so much information and it's still widely practiced in so many different ways um, so if I'm wrong I'm very sorry and just blame it on Wikipedia <laughs> okay <laughs> so the Feast of Yule, which can also be spelt like the Jewel, J-U-U-L, um, <laughs> but gross. So <laughs> it's a Germanic festival that some scholars believe is connected to the Wild Hunt and Madernach, which is Old English for Night of Mother's or Mother's Night, which sounds pretty cool. They probably need a good night. So the Wild Hunt is an old myth about the the god Odin flying through the sky at night with his pals, snatching up some souls of anybody that ventures outside of their houses.
1: Oh, jeez.
0: Yeah, so it was thought that this is just a warning story, so kids and basically anybody wouldn't venture out into the dark, cold winter nights, where it's really easy to get lost and killed by animals or just the weather. So just a nice little stay home, kids. Uh, Be
1: aware of hypothermia.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Modronaut was celebrated on the eve of Yule or solstice. So there's very few details about this festival because it was so old and not really written about. But I think it's pronounced (laughs) Bede. He's the 8th century historian. Um, He did mention that people would stay up all night long having feasts and making sacrifices. And this was typically seen as a type of new year celebration where mothers and matriarchs were celebrated. So I support that. (laughs)
1: That's something I can get behind.
0: Yeah. So Yule was mostly a festival celebrated by lighting small fires to symbolize heat and light as well as life giving properties. The log was either burnt or kept lit but never fully allowed to burn uh the log can be burnt from anywhere between 12 hours or 12 days so I'm guessing like I would probably go for the less amount of time because it sounds a lot easier
1: <laughs> I guess if they weren't allowed to leave their house then
0: yeah
1: to watch it right? or is it just at night that they weren't allowed to leave Oh, it was just night. They weren't allowed to leave. That,
0: they could yeah. go outside at the, during the day. Um, <laughs> but so the ashes of any of the fully burnt logs could be used as fertilizer or worn as pr- a protective charm around your neck. Um, sometimes they said that they would take the fertilizer and use it for 12 days. There's a lot of repetition about 12 different days. And, I mean, that's where we get the 12 nights of Christmas. and. Mm-hmm. All that fun song. Um, it's on the
1: first day of Christmas. <laughs>
0: exactly. <laughs> that one. So also they w- were said to have put the ashes under their beds for safekeeping as well as to protect them in their homes, um, most specifically from lightning and fire, which I do understand because lightning's scary, Uh <laughs> Those who kept the logs burning but didn't let them turn into ashes could keep the remains for good luck. And then also they tended to use uh, them as kindling for next year's Yule log. Alright, so there's two main characters in the lore behind Yule and Yule celebrations. They are the Oak King and the Holly King. They are described as opposites, but they relate in a way that yin and yang relate that there are opposites, but both needed to make the world go round.
1: That reminds uh, me of um, Heat Miser and Snow Miser.
0: Yeah. From the year
1: without a Santa Claus. <laughs> Basically. Basically. <laughs> I love anyway. that. Anyway, I love so, that movie. That's like one of my favorites. <laughs> so
0: good. I'm going to have to watch it later. Um <laughs> so basically they're both fighting for power over each other but in the end they'll sacrifice themselves for the betterment of the planet or the environment and the people. The Holly King rules over the dark half of the year from midsummer to Yule while Oak King rules the light and holds power over the other half of the calendar. So the Holly King has been compared to Santa Claus because he's usually portrayed as this little old man. Um he's really jolly. But he's also a symbol of death, forest, animals, and hunting. Yule can be seen as the Holly King leaving or dying and the Oak King returning or being born. At the end of The Longest Night, there is the return of the Sun God, a.k.a. the Oak King. And the Oak King is then in charge of the world basically or like the environment and plants and nature until the summer solstice comes back around and the holly king comes back in charge and the days start getting darker again so when a new this is a direct quote from an article that i'll link in the show notes but it honestly did it a I couldn't have edited it in a way to make it in my own words and not just plagiarize. So here we go. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) When a new religion called Christianity popped up, the new hierarchy had trouble converting the pagans and such folks didn't want to give up their old holidays. Christian churches were built on old pagan worship sites and pagan symbols were incorporated into the symbolism of Christianity. Within a few centuries, the Christians had everybody worshiping a new holiday celebrated on December 25th, although scholars believe it is more likely that Jesus was born around April rather than the winter. So basically, there became a point in time where Christianity took hold as one of the major religions, and they just kind of converted them, but that's a huge reason as to why we see so many of these older traditions from older celebrations of solstice and yule in our everyday not every day but our holidays (laughs) so there's just a few commonalities i guess is the word that i want to talk about where we can relate our current holiday celebrations back to yule so one that i already talked about A little bit from Romans was caroling, uh, but when it relates back to Yule, it's called wassailing. W-A-S-S-A-I-L-I-N-G. I -I I
1: like caroling better.
0: (laughs) Yeah, caroling sounds a little bit less rude, but whatever. Uh, (laughs) So they would go door to door to sing and drink in out of their neighbor's house which is pretty cool. Uh, They would also go into fields and orchards that they owned or worked in, and they would sing and yell in hopes of driving away um, any negative spirits that wanted to mess with their crops, (laughs) (laughs) which I support it. I wonder if it worked. I mean, Zach Baggins yells
1: at enough ghosts. We'll ask him. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. You guys, (laughs) just wait until our Ghost Adventures episode. Oh, just wait. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we're huge fans
0: oh <laughs> yeah so i guess caroling wasn't connected or brought into the church until around the 13th century so i we survived for so long without it <laughs> <laughs> we don't need it guys oh speaking of caroling quick little anecdote um i was watching one of the uh, COVID updates and restrictions and this woman from the health department gets on the TV and she goes, yeah um, I really encourage you to do virtual caroling this year for so <laughs> or just not <laughs> yeah, I was like, nobody wants you to sing to them, nobody's gonna come to your Zoom carol meeting
1: I'm honestly, genuinely curious if there are people out there which there has to be there has to be people out there that are like one of my favorite parts of Christmas is caroling. It's honestly so I don't so know any of them.
0: <laughs> I've done it when I was little. It was weird. Um, not a huge fan, but if you are going to zoom carol, honestly email us the zoom link cuz I will.
1: Please send us your zoom caroling videos. We want to see them. Really.
0: <laughs> Maybe we'll sample some for our
1: <laughs> I don't Oh know. my gosh, for our first Patreon video. <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So next uh, tradition is kissing under the mistletoe. This one's honestly really gross. Um, So there's a few things that I left out because they were too gross for me to say. And (laughs) hi, mom. But
1: (laughs) hello, family members.
0: (laughs) Yes. So mistletoe has been seen as a magical plant by many cultures. And Romans were thought to well, not were thought they did have fertility rituals underneath the mistletoe. But modern people usually just keep it to kissing.
1: I did not know that was the origin of that.
0: Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, You're just speaking the truth. (laughs) (laughs) So um, another one is giving gifts by magical beings and gift giving in general. So I know Morgan's going to talk about Santa and a few other of his pals. But uh, those are the more well-known gift givers. I wanted to bring up the not the, uh, La Bethana, who's a little old Italian witch who gives kids treats if they're
1: well-behaved. All I can think of is Streganona. Yeah. (laughs) You used to read those books as a kid? Yeah. Anthony made too much pasta. (laughs) Yeah, you remember that one where there's a flood of pasta in the town? Yeah, it's (laughs) me and Elena's favorite book. It sounds like a dream, honestly. (laughs) Oh, I know. A
0: town of pasta? Sign me up. (laughs) So... There's also the Frau Holly, which I think is Holly, but I don't know because I don't know what language it's in, um, who gives a wo- gifts to women at the solstices, which I really like the most because women need gifts. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so and another one is... Firm. <laughs> oh, yeah. So another one is decking the halls. Many different Yule celebrations incorporate evergreens and bringing them into the house. So all different bows of holly all around ever always have been um and that's mostly because evergreens are seen as like well they are a really hardy plant they survive with their greens throughout the whole winter we see it in new england all the time um but it's a sign of uh like hope and that life will go on even though it's really dark and scary and cold and sad um (laughs) yeah (laughs) So another thing that we do that they used to do is hanging ornaments. So in Saturnalia and Solstice, they did these, but um, Saturnalia, they would hang little, I think it was like little metal tins and different things. And I think snacks on their trees. And for Yule, they used to leave different snacks for ancestors or different spirits and deities. But they also used to bring um, their trees into the house like a whole life tree for the winter and they would bring it in so that the little tree sprites would stay warm and they would hang gifts and snacks on it for them which I think That's is so really cute, cute. and wholesome. <laughs> I want a tree sprite I don't know if
1: they're mean or not but <laughs> there's only one way to find out Now I'll
0: have to go get some. So holly bushes, obviously, bows of holly. Um, I guess apparently it could be seen as the blood of Christ. I hadn't heard that. I've been to church, but good to know. I like holly bushes because the house I grew up in had holly bushes out front. But they're always also decorated on the Yule log cakes. Um, (laughs) So in the final one or two, I guess, technically, that I want to talk about is the Yule log and the Christmas tree. So the traditional Yule log is families could go out and pick their own tree, cut it down, and there are locations where you can do this. I am saying do not go do this if you do not have explicit permission or a permit to do this. Don't cut down trees where you're not supposed to. <laughs> Please and thank you. I will not bail you out. <laughs> so in traditional paganism, it's nobody really likes to waste anything. So it's very important to use like the roots if you're going to do some type of pagan spells. If you're a modern witch... Or way back in the day, but then also uh, they would cut the stump off and use that to burn as the Yule log and then bring the tree inside and decorate it um, as we still do today, which is really awesome. And then obviously there's Yule log cakes because it's a little bit more fun and enjoyable to make a cake than to just sit around a burning log for hours.
1: Why not do both?
0: Okay, no los dos? Yeah. Um, <laughs> probably could do both. But I mean, as long as you only have to burn your Yule log for 12 hours, not 12 days. I'm here for it.
1: All right. Thanks cool. for listening to my section, guys. So most of us know about Santa Claus, elves, reindeer, flying reindeer specifically. The North Pole, leaving out milk and cookies. And we used to always leave out carrots for the reindeer, too. Oh, you have to. (laughs) They need a snack, too. They're working hard. (laughs) And all that jazz. So, Maddie, do you know the origins of Santa Claus? Um, no. (laughs) Well, you're about to. So in the spirit of the holiday season, I'm going to talk about the origins of Santa Claus, <laughs> also known as Saint Nicholas, and his traveling companions around the world. Saint Nicholas was born around the year 280 AD in Patara, Lycia, a region in Asia Minor, which is now the country of Turkey. If you I remember see. from 7th grade history class, <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> he grew up in a devout Christian family, but unfortunately both of his parents died early in life due to an epidemic. Hmm. However, like that that we're in? <laughs> yeah, like a global pandemic.
0: Global pandemic, stay home. Love Wear you.
1: your freaking mask. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> his parents left him a ton of inheritance money. Nice, but he fully had devoted his life to the church. So he then used his in- inheritance money to help the poor and sick people in Patara. Nice. So, among his kind acts, it's said that he saved three men who were going to be executed after being falsely imprisoned. Another um, example. We really need him in America today, honestly. Bring him back. <laughs> <laughs> another story that is used as an example of his kindness and generosity is quote unquote the three poor sisters story so in Patara a father had three daughters and he didn't have enough money to pay their dowries because that used to be a thing (laughs) Uh. (laughs) I'm sure it still is in some cultures but (laughs) oh there are (laughs) so instead of paying his dowry paying his daughter's dowries so they could get married. He was going to sell them into servitude. So that's Love it. unfortunate. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> one night, before they were sold, one night his daughters left their stockings by their fire to dry. Mm, sounds familiar, huh? <laughs> and St. Nicholas secretly snuck into their house and put a bag of money inside of each stocking. I want that. Thank <laughs> you. And he went back two more times so that they would have enough money to not be sold into slavery. Or servitude, I guess. Yeah. But on the third visit, the father caught him and thanked him. But that was just well, an example. He thanked him. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Thank you for not making me sell my daughters into servitude. Yeah. <laughs> Later on in his life, Saint Nicholas served as a Christian bishop in the city called Mira, which is now Demra, Demre. I'm sorry for my pronunciation. I think it's Demre, but I honestly don't know. <laughs> we'll go with Demre. Yeah. And so St. Nicholas became known throughout the region for caring. I guess at that point he was Bishop Nicholas, but he yeah. became known throughout the region for his caring acts and generosity. When St. Nicholas was born, Asia Minor, slash Turkey, was under Greek rule. And, but then eventually, the region of Mira fell under Roman rule. Hmm. Yep. The Roman Emperor Diocletian hated and persecuted the Christians. Which, so this was pre-Roman Catholicism. This was when they still believed in several gods and goddesses. Nice. So, I mean... Religious persecution. (laughs) Yeah. So Saint Nicholas, or Bishop Nicholas, was sent to jail. Which is not something you would expect. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, he did have
0: a little bit of breaking and entering under his belt. That's (laughs) true.
1: He had several felonies under his belt. (laughs) Anyway, he was later released after Diocletian resigned and a new emperor came into power. So after Saint Nicholas's death on December 6th, 343 AD, <laughs> he became known as the protector of sailors, children, and the poor. Oh. And obviously he be also became associated with gift giving. The so Saint <laughs> Nicholas Church and Tomb were built after his death, and now they're still standing in what did you say, Demray? Or- yeah. Demre? <laughs> yeah. After his remains were put in the church, a liquid substance called mana formed in his tomb, which is said to have healing powers and increase his popularity. Uh, Yeah, I don't know about that. Wait. (laughs) It just appeared there? Yeah, I feel like you can cut this part out if you want, but, like, juices when he was decomposing. (laughs) (laughs) I just that were magical. Out, I think it was
0: like a year or something ago when they like dug up that Egyptian tomb, and people were like, "I want to drink the forbidden Gatorade."
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't <know>. Okay, continue. <laughs> anyway, so after his remains were put in his church, um, a liquid substance called mana formed in his tomb, which is said to have healing powers. And somehow increase his popularity. I guess it's like a thing in the Christian church. Saints often have mana. Which oh. is something I learned through this process. I had no idea that was even a thing.
0: i but never even heard of it.
1: A little also fun fact. I
0: wonder, like,
1: why were they opening up his tomb? Right? <laughs> were they just giving it a peek every day, making sure he's still there? <laughs> that actually ties into my fun fact. Okay. My fun fact is that during the Crusades, so several years after St. Nicholas passed, his remains were taken from the church (laughs) to Bari, Italy. And now they can be seen in the Basilica di San Nicola in Bari. I'm not sure what's left of his remains, but...
0: (laughs) Or if it's just,
1: like, a legend, I'm going to venture to guess they don't let you open the tomb. (laughs) We should go see and see if they'll let us open it. (laughs) Okay. So, after Bishop Nicholas's death, December 6th, which, if you remember from a couple minutes ago, was his death day, became the feast day of St. Nicholas. Children would put their shoes out the night before, so the night of December 5th, Mm -hmm. in the hopes that St. Nicholas would leave them gifts. Which is still a practice today in Germany and many other Eastern European countries.
0: That's so cute. I think I had a friend in middle school who used to do that and I was always like, But what if your shoes stink? Do you have to like buy new shoes?
1: <laughs> oh, you have to clean them first. <laughs> it, like in one of the articles I read it made a point of saying <laughs> children clean their shoes and put them up for St. Nicholas. <laughs> Not putting their like nasty soccer cleats out. Okay, got it. <laughs> <I know. laughs> Around the world, St. Nicholas is still a central figure in the December-slash-holiday-season traditions. That being said, many cultures also have additional figures that act as St. Nicholas's traveling companions. Most of these guys are a lot more sinister than St. Nicholas, and you'll see why in a minute here. (laughs) Maddie, do you know of any of them? Well, we did meet Krampus... (laughs) (laughs) We did meet Krampus. Krampus is actually the first one I'm going to talk about here. So Krampus is by far the most well-known dark Christmas character. Mm -hmm. He's thought to have originated in Austrian Alpine culture with pagan origins of winter solstice, which we just learned about. And he's said to be the son of Hel, the goddess of death in Norse mythology. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. So, Krampus is said to be half goat, half demon. So, or something, some sort of combination in that realm. (laughs) Understandable. I I can see it. (laughs) With large horns, a long forked tongue. Gross. He has cloven hooves, fangs, and he carries birch branches or a whip with a sack or a basket. Yep. (laughs) So, shape (laughs) I'm gonna preface this really all of these characters by saying depending on what source you look at there's like a million like kind of like winter solstice there's a million different versions of all of these stories yeah so I kind of used kind of a culmination of all the things that I read but so don't come at me if it's not exactly what you've heard before (laughs) (laughs) so Krampus Knocked is December 5th Which, if you remember from when we were talking about St. Nicholas, is Uh when, um, the night of December 5th is when St. Nick visited good children to put to to put treats in their clean shoes. (laughs) Uh But, that same night, Krampus would visit the bad kids and would either leave birch sticks in their shoes, or in more extreme versions, he would whip them with his birch switch and carry them away in his sack to the to head to the depths of hell to be tortured or eaten. <laughs> so, now, yeah. You can't kidnap kids. <laughs> Nothing like terrifying your children on
0: Christmas. <laughs> you should definitely hit some of them with sticks. But don't take them. <laughs>
1: <laughs> don't steal them. <laughs> oh. But yes, Maddie and I did meet Krampus. If you stay tuned for our Instagram posts after this episode, you will see photo evidence
0: oh yeah it was great we're
1: really great pals now
0: <laughs> doesn't whip us with sticks
1: <laughs> also on December 5th is loft, which is the Krampus run so people dress up as Krampus and run through the streets street, which is actually <laughs> still a thing I'm not sure about Europe but I know in some US cities it's still a thing on December 5th to do oh, a loft. So funny. <laughs> so next year, post-COVID, you know where you can find us on Krampus Noct. Oh yeah. <laughs> or the Sorry, feast uh, Santa Con. The <laughs> night before the feast day of St. Nicholas. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> so also to go with Krampus Noct were Krampus Carton, which mm-hmm. is my favorite part of this whole Krampus section because they were Krampus greeting cards with poems from the 1800s (laughs) so like instead of sending a Christmas card with like a nice picture of your family it's just this half goat half demon eating (laughs) a child with a poem (laughs) that you send to your friends (laughs) the poem's probably like don't be bad or he'll come eat you (laughs) so for all my family and friends out there I'm only sending Krampus carton now I'm not sending Christmas cards anymore (laughs) I can't wait (laughs) So, throughout the history of the folklore of Krampus, there have been several attempts to ban him. (laughs) Rude. (laughs) Specifically from the church, because he's half demon, so. Okay. And (laughs) evil. But the Catholic Church tried to ban Krampus celebrations and legends in the 12th century, and then there were more attempts to ban Krampus in the 1920s and the 1950s. I'm sure there were some in between them, but those are the ones that I read about. And (laughs) a fun fact is in the 1950s, which I got this from the Sinisterhood podcast, shout out, also a great true crime podcast to listen to. They have a whole episode on Krampus. Ah, perfect. In the 1950s, church members used to hand out pamphlets, which said, quote unquote, Krampus is is an evil man. (laughs) But he's not a man. He's half demon, half goat. Right, exactly. Get you back straight. (laughs) That just really made me laugh when I heard that. (laughs) (laughs) So Krampus regained popularity in the late 20th 20th century. And now he's super popular. I feel like most people know about Krampus now. Especially because there's even a Krampus movie that came out in 2015. Yeah, have you seen that? I haven't seen it. I did oh. look up the Rotten Tomatoes on it and it got sixty-six percent. So that's not it's not failing. <laughs> it's, not, it's better than twenty twelve, so <laughs> <That's> true. <laughs> but I have heard I don't know. I've heard that it doesn't quite stick to the folklore of Krampus, which I mean is kind of expected. But Yeah, I mean, did Harry Potter stick to the books? <laughs> no. <laughs> so once COVID's over we definitely have to have a movie party to watch this oh yeah 100% <laughs> if anybody has seen it please DM us or email us and tell us about this movie I want to <laughs> know about it <laughs> I'm like really curious especially because when I on Rotten Tomatoes when I looked it up there was like 10 other older Krampus movies oh my god which, I thought there was just one. I mean, so now, I'm, now I'm extra interested. There's like 7,000 movies about
0: Santa, so... That's true. <laughs> we'll have to make another one
1: on Christmas. You- obviously, Or one of these <laughs> other guys that I'm about to tell you about in a second here. So now we're going to go into, briefly, St. Nicholas's other companions. I'll talk about a couple, and then I'm just kind of going to list some of there's a ton all over the world yeah. there's figures that were said to travel with saint nicholas or are a version of santa claus for a specific yeah. country but so first we're going to talk about Belshnickel, which if you're a fan of the office season nine episode nine <laughs> dwight <laughs> sets up pennsylvania dutch christmas in the office and dresses up as belchnickel Yes. <laughs> so, Belschnickel is a figure that originated in southwestern Germany, uh, the Palatinate region, which people from the Palatinate region immigrated also to Pennsylvania, which is where the Pennsylvania Dutch culture came from. So, he was originally called the Belschnickel. <laughs> not sure how it became Belschnickel, but... <laughs> Huh. He wears fur robes and dirty clothing. He walks. He doesn't fly or have a sleigh or anything like that. He just walks around the neighborhood. Um, a lot of people in the Pennsylvania Dutch culture still recognize Krampus as a figure of Christmas. On Christmas Eve in some German cities, they participate in belch <laughs> Which is basically like Krampus knocked, but everybody dresses up as Belschnickel. (laughs) (laughs) And runs around like leaving like drinking and leaving gifts for people. (laughs) That's fun. So lately Belschnickel has had a resurgence in pop culture because of the office episode. Makes sense, yeah. He's still not as popular as Krampus, but I think he's cool. He comes around one to two weeks before Christmas and tosses candy on the floor. (laughs) And the children have to grab it, but they can't grab it too fast or he'll switch their hands with a stick. (laughs) So there's that. Jeez. (laughs) (laughs) Our next figure is Neck Ruprecht, Ruprecht, or farmhand Rupert, who is the most common companion of St. Nicholas in Germany. He wears a cloak with a hood and carries a staff with a bag of ashes. Interesting. So his MO is that he asks children, can you pray? And if they can, he gives them fruits, nuts, and other treats. But if they can't, he hits them over the head with his bag of ashes. (laughs)
0: there was definitely some like serial killer or something in some tv show that would ask people if they could pray and if they like gave him a weird reaction he definitely killed them but it's just my brain saying that but
1: there's absolutely so much child abuse that happened around christmas time (laughs) (laughs) bad So some other similar Christmas characters of note are, please excuse my pronunciation, <laughs> Le Pré-Frutard, a cannibal figure from France that comes around around Christmas time, Tomtenisa, a gnome-like figure that originates from Norwegian folklore. I looked Tomtenisa up, which can also be, in some places they call him just Tomta, some places he's just Nisa, And some places he's Tom so... Of course. (laughs) But, like, you know, (laughs) like, picture Garden Gnome with, like, the blue outfit and the red (laughs) little hat. That's exactly what Tom looks like. So cute. Adorable. Dead Morose and then Snow Maiden, which is the Russian version of Santa Claus or Father Frost. And in Slavic culture, he has a daughter who is the Snow Maiden. And finally in Icelandic culture they have Ogres and the Yule lads. So a violent <laughs> queen ogress and her 13 sons who all have different um I don't want to say powers but I guess like motives.
0: So like they some call of them steal
1: types of mischiefers or yeah, something. Yeah, so, like? so like some of them steal candles, some of them steal food, like some of them peek in the windows of people. <laughs> I feel like we could do a whole episode on the ogres and the Yule lads,
0: But oh, they also yeah. have a
1: Yule cat. A Yule cat? Yeah, who is a oh. giant black cat that travels with them. I love that. So that's interesting. <laughs> that's so cool. To wrap up this section, we're going to go into how St. Nicholas became the modern day Santa Claus. In the U.S. anyway. Dutch immigrants brought the legends of St. Nicholas, a.k.a. St. Nicholas, a.k.a. Sinterklaas, to the yeah. United States in the 1700s, so a while ago. yeah. St. Nick went through many transformations or evolutions, whatever you want to say, before he became our modern-day Santa Claus. Sinterklaas became Santa Claus, and instead of giving gifts on December 6th, the feast day of St. Nicholas that we talked about before, St. Nicholas's Death Day, etc., cetera, et cetera. He became <laughs> part of of the Christmas holiday on December 25th. And so the poem, An Account of a Visit from St. Nicholas, which is the one that goes, "'Twas the night before Christmas and all through the house," et cetera, ah. et cetera. <laughs> we all know it, but I'm not going to lie, when I saw the name of it, I had no clue. And then I read it and I was like, oh, <laughs> I know that. <laughs> Written by Clement Clark Moore helped shape the persona and legend of our iconic Santa Claus. Introducing the image of a jolly, heavy man who comes down the chimney to leave presents for deserving children and drives a sleigh pulled by flying reindeer. And a drawing of Santa from 1881 by Thomas Nast introduced the whole red suit, white fur trim. Before that, Santa was kind of closer to... Well, originally, St. Nicholas wore a bishop's outfit, so... Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean... (laughs) If anybody's Catholic, they know what that looks like, but with, like, the pointy hat.
0: <laughs> I say, They have really good hats. I have a picture with the bishop, I think. <laughs> That's cool.
1: <laughs> yup. <laughs> our more iconic current image of Santa Claus. Like, fat, big red and white suit, you know, the whole yeah. nine yards. Jolly, round cheeks arrived with a coca-cola ad in 1931 so that's pretty much the image that's used universally used today um when you think of santa claus yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) but obviously there's still variations around the world but in the u.s anyway that's our iconic image of santa claus
0: yeah
1: um which is pretty different than like saint nicholas slash bishop nicholas has always explained as like a tall skinny man yeah (laughs) and that's like the opposite of what our current santa claus is (laughs) a little chunky guy yeah yeah that's about it for the origins of santa claus and his companions awesome well thanks for telling me (laughs) i learned so much me too stay tuned next monday and every monday after that for our next episode you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. We're on Instagram at Monday Mornings Pod, on Twitter at Monday Mornings P, and we have a Facebook page. If you
0: have questions or topics that you'd like to have covered in a future episode, you can also email us at Monday at gmail.com. Start your Monday Mornings the right way with Maddie and Morgan. Duh. <laughs>